Well, today is the very last part of a message series we've been doing called Eyes Wide Open. And uh, in, I think this is number eight, and in every single week I have gone at least ten minutes over my time, and I promise not to disappoint today as well, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) But... I promise that we will get back to a normal schedule, but there's just so much in this message series, and um, like we've only even touched the tip of the iceberg. The whole point of this is I want you to develop within your heart a spiritual hunger that realizes that God is so much bigger than you think he is, that the gospel is so much more powerful than you thought it is, that the Bible contains more life-giving, soul-feeding truths than you ever believed is possible. And I'm trying to encourage us to get out of a small view of God and his blessings and his kingdom, and all of the positive things in there, and a very, very big view of sin, and the devil, and darkness, and bad things, and to flip that, and to reverse it, and to get a proper perspective that our God is a great big God. He's the creator of all things. And he is a good God. He is a loving God. He wants to give good gifts to his children. He loves this world so much he sent his son to save it. And he has paid the price for all sins so we can be forgiven. He has opened the door, not only to heaven, but opened the door to a relationship with the Father God right here, right now, in this life. And that he is for us and not against us. That nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God which you have in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that it wasn't just an accident that you were born here. Or God didn't just save you because he took pity on you at some point in your life. But you are here in this world at this time for a reason. Because God has had a great big plan from before the foundation of the world, from before anything in this material universe was created, he had a great big plan called the plan of the ages in which he was going to gradually and progressively through sending prophets and wise people and teachers and so on, lift humanity step by step up to a greater understanding of who God is and how we should live in this world and why we're here, all the way until the time of Jesus. And Jesus is the perfect image of God. Some people have an image of God as being a judge or being angry or being cranky. But the truth is, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. His name was Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Apostle Paul tells us God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus came to reveal what the Father was like, and and we have spent 
the last age since then, and however many ages to come, trying to unpack and outwork and live in the reality of who God really is and who he has made us to be and what his plan is in this world. So the the four spiritual diseases that we looked at, they are things that make God seem so much smaller. You know, legalism, you know, a list of all these rules that if you want to make God happy, obey these rules, and if you want to make him unhappy, disobey them. It, it, It makes God into this little, almost petty minded person with a a mosquito swatter. Checking. Naughty. Bad girl. Oh, you need five. You're really bad. You know, that kind of thing. Rather than the way Jesus described them. Yeah, even when we do fall into the pit, even when we take the wrong path in life, even when we, we become prodigal children, the Father is waiting with arms open wide to welcome us back, to clean up the mess we made, and to set our lives on a new course again. He's not there with the fly swatter, he's there with the wide open arms, saying, come on back into my family, and I'll show you how we can do it the right way this time. And so we need to get that image of God and get away from this small, petty image of God that these four spiritual diseases can give us that we looked at. They can make us think that, that God is just, you know, God, God's not at work in the world. He's just at work in the church. Not even all the church. Just the churches that I approve of, you know, and uh, the people that are like me and so on. And we make God so small. And we saw that God has a huge plan. The Bible talks about ages past and ages to come and how he is outworking his plan. We saw that the whole of creation has this plan embedded in it. And we see how much bigger God really is. So today we could say, right, okay, so what? How does that affect my life? Well, once you realize that God is a great big God and a loving God and an omnipresent God and a supporting Father, and that all of these religious things that people get caught up with, legalism and judgmentalism and all of these things, and everything that produces shame and fear— Because religion can produce shame and fear in people's lives. I mean, like, I don't know if any of you have ever seen that documentary, Jesus Camp, where they take a bunch of kids, they film a bunch of kids that have gone to a camp, not a camp that we would send our kids to, just so you know that, if we ever promote a camp here. And these kids are in this camp and the preacher woman's preaching at them and it's all about demons and devil and hellfire. And all of this kind of, and there was a lot of those noises while she was preaching too. (laughs) And these kids are sitting there with their eyes wide open with fear and shame being put upon them. Shame about how sinful they are. They weren't even old enough to have done anything yet, you know. And yet all this shame and guilt, when religion can psychologically damage you, but the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ can bring healing and peace and joy and life to you in a brand new beginning. 
I want, I want us to start by looking at a passage of Scripture. It's a well-known passage of Scripture. It's a long one. And it's when Jesus meets the woman at the well. And I want you to notice that Jesus is opening her eyes to the fact that they are living in a period of time when there is a big change in the ages taking place. That the old age of religion and tradition and ceremony is passing away. And a new age of spirituality is opening up. I've called this message spiritual but not religious. Because today, lots of people would identify themselves as that. They have realized that they don't like organized religion and they don't like um, some of the negative things that they have perhaps seen or maybe even experienced happening with religion or religions. And yet they know that becoming an atheist or an agnostic or just a materialist is not the answer because every human being has a spiritual hunger deep within them. The Bible says God has placed eternity in the hearts of humanity so that we will long to know him, to be filled with him. And so lots of people are turned off by religion, but they still know that there is a spiritual component to life that they're hungry for. And I totally get it, because I too am turned off by religion, and yet have this spiritual hunger and thirst within me. Honestly, people, it is really awkward when you're in a place for the first time, maybe with complete strangers, maybe sitting on an aeroplane and the guy next to you insists on talking to you and then he asks you what you do for a living and you think, here we go. I'm going to say I'm a pastor. And either he's going to become negative and grouchy or he's going to transform and become all religious and start changing his tone of voice and saying, yes, my father was an elder in the church, you know, and all of this kind of stuff, because they immediately imagine that I'm some uptight, judgmental, religious person. But in the course of the conversation, we usually find out they're more judgmental than me. Because I'm all about grace and about mercy and about forgiveness and about love and about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It is finished. The doors are open. Welcome in. Well, my father was an elder in the... You know, people imagine religion to be one way and they, they, they either put on a false mask to try to be like that or they're so turned off by it they're against it. But... God is not interested in how religious you are and, and what list of religious ceremonies you've got that you go through. God is looking for a family. He is a father with children and he wants you to be part of his family, not a member of his club, but actually enter into a relationship with God. So let's have a look at this passage. It's from John's Gospel. And here's what it says. It says, Jesus came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near 
to the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. So I want you to notice it's immediately referring to the previous age, a way, way back to the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then how Jacob gave his well to the son Joseph. This was the beginning of the old covenant and the old age that was now passing away. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, did you know that Jesus got tired and thirsty? Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus was actually a human being like you? Do you know, we imagine very often with this dualistic mind, we imagine that natural physical things are somehow or other not really spiritual, but spiritual things are much more elevated. So like, if Jesus came down to earth, you know, he would never get hungry, he would never get thirsty, he would never get tired. But this tells us there, he was tired from a long walk, and he sat wearily beside the well about noontime. God came down to our level to experience everything that we experience so that he could lift us up to his level. And it says here, um, it was about noontime, and soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, that tells you something, the fact that it mentions it was noontime. It was the hottest time of the day. People did not travel from the village to the well to collect water at the hottest time of the day. They only did that if they were trying to avoid everybody else. This woman was like an outcast. She didn't want to go there and collect water at the same time that the other women were. And so it's noontime and she comes. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Because, um, like, he's sitting there at the well. He's thirsty. Like, he's not going to miraculously make the water arise from the well. Remember, during Jesus' temptation, he was tempted to work miracles to meet his own needs. Remember that? Turn the stone into bread. But no, he came to meet our needs. He came to bring healing and blessing to her. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some wood, some food rather. And the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. There was a whole racism thing that went on between Jews and Samaritans. Do you know that God's kingdom has the answer to every human problem? Sometimes people, even Christians, forget that God's kingdom has the answer to every human problem, and sometimes they get caught up in other answers to problems. You know, I've seen churches jump on the whole racism bandwagon and we must preach sermons against racism and we must preach messages against this and that. And you do realize that it is, it's politicians that invent all of these things to divide and conquer, you know? And jumping on the bandwagon of political and secular um, causes might seem good, but the truth is the answer to everything is in the kingdom of God. You don't have to talk about racism when you've all come to discover the same father and you realize it doesn't matter whether I'm a Jew or a Samaritan or an African or a Russian. God is my father. God is your father. We are brothers and sisters. We are one family. And this is what was about to take place here. Now, not only was this to do with race, it was to do with two different denominations as well. 
Well, my denomination teaches this is the way we should worship. Well, my denomination teaches that that's the way we should worship. Let's have a look. Next passage. It says, she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God. Everybody say gift. Everything that God offers us is a gift. It is not based on our religious hard works. It's not based on our performance. It's based on the fact, it's not based on how good we are. It's based on how good He is. He is good and His mercy endures forever. If you only knew the gift of God, the gift that God has for you, that, you know, God has a gift and it's not just for certain people. Jesus was, was Jewish. He was of the tribe of Judah. And yet here he is crossing cultural and racial and denominational boundaries and saying, this gift applies to you as well. You don't have to become one of us first. This gift applies to you. If you only knew the, the gift that God has for you and who is speaking to you, the gift giver, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Very often in the Bible, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, is described as living water. But this woman is still thinking about the well and natural water, and she says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And she, she's, she's trying to connect, and this is something really important. This woman has jumped into literalism. Oh, I want, he must literally mean that we're going to literally go into this literal well and get literal water. Jesus is calling it living water. And besides, she said, do you think that you are greater than our ancestors, the heroes of faith from the previous age who gave us this well and whose children and animals drank from the well? Let's read on what Jesus said. Next, next slide. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. When, see, when we become religious and legalistic and ceremonial and so on, it's almost like we see ourselves as empty vessels trying to get blessings from the outside of us, inside of us. Or trying to obey a set of rules and regulations on the outside of us and trying to live up to it. But what God wants to do is change our hearts and lives from the inside out. And we will find that all of the resources that we need, all of the spiritual power that we need, the presence of God himself comes from within us. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a, a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. 
you certainly spoke the truth, he says to her. Now, again, with our Western worldview and our religious indoctrination, people often read this story and think, "Mm, she was an immoral woman. She was jumping from one man to the next, dropping this husband and picking up another one. And that wasn't how it worked in that culture. The the chances are this was not an immoral woman. This was a barren woman who could not have children. And she hadn't left her husbands. They, after a few years of her not producing a child, had divorced her. And then another husband had married her. And after a few years of not being able to produce a child, in that culture, the husbands divorced the wives. He divorced her. And eventually, this woman, not only was her heart broken over the fact that she couldn't have a child, her heart is broken over five occasions that someone has completely rejected her from their life. And now she's had to settle with a man who said, okay, I'll shack up with you, but we ain't getting married because you can't have kids. And here is someone who is not going to reject her, but is going to heal that deepest need of her heart with living water. And he says to her, so he says, you've spoken the truth. Next, next slide. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. You know, duh, <laughs> you know, I'm just, gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to tell you your name, address, and telephone number. Oh, you must be a prophet. Right, okay. So tell me, now she's got a question in her mind. Oh, I found a prophet. I want to know which denomination is the right denomination. Is it the Catholics or the Baptists? Is it the Samaritans or the Jews? Look at this. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Well, we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming. Say those words with me. The time is coming. Jesus is telling this woman, we are living at a very important juncture in history. A particular time, the end times, the end of an age, the end of an old covenant age, the end of the law, the end of stone temples, the end of priests, the end of sacrifices, the end of religion, and the beginning of a relationship with God. The time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Well, we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Next verse. But the time is coming, look, indeed, it's here now. They were living right at the time when the old age was dying out and coming to an end, and a new age was being born. We are living at the time when all of these religious arguments should mean nothing, Jesus said, about which temple you go to, which church you go to, which denomination you believe, which set of of, uh, statement of faith you're following. There's a change coming. It is here right now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. 
For God is a cranky old man in the sky. Is that what it says? What does it say? God is what? God is spirit. And those who worship him will worship in spirit and in truth. So the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. This is kind of weird what you're talking about, but when he comes, he'll sort it all out. And she, he says, lady, I'm the Messiah. I'm here to sort it all out. Okay. So God is spirit. There are, a few, there are lots of attributes God has, but there are a few things that God is. God is spirit. God's presence is everywhere. It is invisible, it is life-giving, and it is omnipresent. It is everywhere. It is not a physical presence that you can look at. People sometimes in some cultures, because they can't see God, but they're aware of a higher power, will make idols and statues to represent God. But God cannot be represented by anything physical. He is spirit. The Bible also says God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The Bible also says God is love. So God is this invisible, loving presence which is everywhere you could possibly go. You don't come to church to meet with God. When you come to church and when we sing worship songs and we look at these scriptures, it is causing you to take your attention away from other things and put your attention on God. But God is here whether you put your attention on him or not. God was as much in the car with you as you drove here as he was when you were singing worship songs here. Because God is everywhere and he is spirit. He is the life force that animates all things, and he is love. Let's look at another verse. It's from the book of Psalms. Oh yeah, go back to that last one. I forgot about that one. God is spirit. He's not the old man in the sky. He doesn't live in a temple. He lives in you. The Bible says your body is a temple of God. He's a good God. And he never changes. He is always consistent and trustworthy. Right, let's look at the book of Psalms. Psalm 139, verse 7. It says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from your presence? If I go, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed down in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wing, wings of the dawn... If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. Do you know I was reading a science article the other day? And this scientist was saying, there actually darkness doesn't exist. Darkness doesn't exist. There are, even in the deepest darkness, there are light photons everywhere. The only problem is our eyes, human eyes, only have a particular range. 
And so we don't see it, but if, that, if our eyes were opened wide, and if the, the range of our sight was expanded to include inf infrared and ultraviolet and so on, we would see that there's light everywhere. And to God there is. Even if I hide in the darkness, the darkness is light to you, God. There's no place I can hide from you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Do you see there's no place that you can go that God isn't there? I remember hearing this when I was a young Christian, hearing this sermon. That's one of these fear-filled, angry sermons. <clears throat> and if Jesus comes back and you're in the bar drinking Budweiser, will you be taken or will you be left behind? Because the angels don't go into the bar to collect you, to take you wherever you're going, you know. Folks, God's presence is as much in the bar as it is in the church. He's, his presence fills all things. I know somebody who got saved, who got born again, who came to faith in Christ in the bathroom stall of an incredibly seedy nightclub after vomiting down the toilet and saying, there must be more to life than this. God, are you real? Shazam! God was there in a second. Because <laughs> God was as much present with him there as he is here when we are singing hallelujah, because there's no place you can go from God's presence. He's everywhere. And you know, when you realize that, you will stop dualistically separating life into spiritual things and natural things. You might think, oh, you know, I, Pastor Martin's a pastor and his job is to study the Bible and teach it. So that's a real spiritual job. But I'm an elementary school teacher and that's just a secular job and, and that's not a spiritual thing. Oh, I just wish that I could serve the Lord some way. Maybe you're serving the Lord right where you are. Maybe that's what you're gifted to do. Maybe God created you to be an elementary school teacher. Don't want to be a missionary. Be the best elementary school teacher you can be. If that's what God has made you to be because God is as much involved in your career and your employment and your health and your finances and your family and your inner peace and your happiness as he is on whether you're an usher in the church or you pray for people in the prayer team. It's all spiritual folks. God is the God of all of life and the whole earth. Look at look what Paul said. Look at the book of Acts. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, which, is the, which was in Athens, where all the philosophers gathered together. And he said, people of Athens, I see in every way that you are very religious. The reason he said that was because there was temples and idols everywhere. And he thought, my goodness, these people are doing their best to be religious, but they're looking in all the wrong places. I can see that you're very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. All over the world, in every culture of the world, at every time in human history, with the exception of a few a very small handful of atheists, 
most of whom, when you question them, you find out they're not really atheists. It's not that they don't believe in God, it's just that they're angry at Him. You question an atheist, and very quickly they get angry at God. You think, I thought you didn't believe in Him. That's like getting angry at, you know, a unicorn that you don't believe in, you know? But anyway, so... <clears throat> But all over the world, at every time in history, in every culture, people have known that there is an unknown God. There is a God out there that they are trying to know. And he said, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the whole world and everything is it, in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by hum human hands as if he needed anything. Let's read on. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Do this for me a moment. Let's all just take a big deep breath in and out. God gave you that breath. He gives everyone life and breath and everything else. His presence is always with you, supporting you, your life. And it says, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole world. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Oh, this is saying that all over the world, God has created people with a desire to seek him and with an ability to reach out to him and perhaps find him. Now look at this, though he is not far from any one of us. So many Christians have an image of God that if this is an unbeliever, God is far away from the unbeliever. And if this is a believer, God can also be far away from the believer as well if the believer hasn't been doing everything right and praying enough and so on. But this is saying God is not far away from everybody. I mean, he's all around us. He's everywhere. He's not far from any one of us. Why? For in him we live and move and have our beings. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. What does that mean, in him we live and move? Andrew, could you bring out my little toys, please? I've got some toys to play with. Um, some of you will have seen me do this before. I've used this before as an example. Don't spill, don't spill on, the, on the cables. <laughs> Lift it over it. Good idea. Thank you. I want you to imagine this is the world here. This is the world. Maybe I should have made it a goldfish bowl for the flat earthers, I'm not sure. But I want you to imagine that this is the world. And now this is a little house, but actually gerbils have seriously eaten away whole parts of it. But we'll, we'll make that a little house. There's a little house. Well, this, this is going to float, isn't it? It's not, is this going to float? Okay, this is a floating house. <laughs> 
okay? This is, this is Vancouver, and this is the little boats, the little houseboats on the, okay, floating about. Now, I want you to imagine that this is the world, and the water is the presence of God. You see, a lot of people think of themselves, and I've got a little man here. It says on it that he's one of the Wiggles. Yeah, only about three of you know who the Wiggles are, it seems. Okay, he's one of the Wiggles, but I'm gonna, he's a spongy guy, so I'm going to call him Bob, SpongeBob. Okay, he's spongy. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of us think that we live in the world and that God lives up in heaven outside here. And when we pray, we are praying to the, oh God, I need your help. And God will fire the help down. Pew, boom, pew, right. But that's not the way it works. Sometimes people say, oh, oh, I don't feel like I've got enough faith. I feel like my, my prayers aren't getting above the ceiling. They don't need to get above the ceiling. God's not above the ceiling. He's right in front of you. He's actually right inside you. Look, look at Bob here. Bob is walking about this earth. The water is God. In God, he lives and moves and has his being. Do you see that? Whether Bob is a believer or not, because Paul's talking to unbelievers in that passage, God is still not far from anybody, even the unbelievers. Let's take that silly thing out. Right. In him, in the water, he lives and moves. I mean, think of a goldfish. A goldfish lives in the water. It probably is not even aware that it lives in water. But take it out of the water and it suddenly is aware that it needs water. We live in the living water of the invisible, life-giving presence of God's Spirit. We might not even be aware of it. But take you out of the water and you would soon be gasping for the life-giving presence of God. We live in the water. We are in God. And look, this guy's spongy, look. He's in the water and the water is in him. We, the Bible says we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We are in God, in him we live and move and have our being, and God is in us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The invisible presence of God is everywhere you can go, including within you. Of course, there is a problem, and the problem is that we all tend to screw up our lives. That's not the theological term. The theological term is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? But you know, through sin, through selfishness, through ignorance, through unbelief, through hurts, through all kinds of things, we screw our lives up. We close our mind. We close our heart. We tighten everything up so that we are walking about in this world that God has created with his presence so close to us. He's not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. But we're so shut up inside to the presence of God. And all it takes is for us to open the door to him and his love 
and His forgiveness and His mercy and His grace. And Lord Jesus said to the woman, those living waters will come flooding into the innermost part of your being. And not only there, but will come flooding out. Can you imagine living in a, living a life where God is all around you and God is within you? Imagine how that changes the way you pray. No longer are you down here in the world trying to fire up your prayers to a, a kind of reluctant God who lives far away, but you are living in the presence of God, and the presence of God is living in you. And if this here was the church, and I'll hold it under the water, it's not that you go to the church to enjoy the presence of God, and then you leave the presence of God back at the church. You go to the church you're in the presence of God in the car on the way to church. The presence of God's in you. You sing worship songs to God. You hear God's word taught. People pray for you. You have a good cappuccino in the lobby after the service. God is involved in all of it. You leave and you go to Swiss Chalet. God's in Swiss Chalet as well. And, and then you, you go home and you watch Netflix and God's sitting on the couch watching Netflix with you. So make sure it's not inappropriate what you're watching. <laughs> and everywhere you go, God is with you. If you could get an image of God that he's not far away waiting to approve of your life, wait... Once you become holy, the holy God shall be on your side. No, right the way you are, a screwed up, dirty, sinful mess, the holy God will come in and he will clean you up. He will dry you up. He will make you holy. Just the way you are, if you could just change your view of God. Sometimes we have the idea that if there's a village someplace in the world and that they don't know about Jesus yet, when we send a missionary to them, the missionary is taking God to them. But that's not the case. How can you take God to people if God is already present everywhere and there's nowhere you can go from his presence. You're not taking God to the people that are already there. You're taking the good news to the people that God has already sent his son, that he lived and died and rose again, that our sins were paid for, and that if you just open up, that love of God will come rushing in. One of my favorite missionary stories is by a man called Don Richardson, who came from Canada, he wrote a book called, um, called The Peace Child. And I think we're putting an image up on it. Don Richardson, he studied in Saskatchewan at Prairie Bible College. And then him and his family went out, if I remember right, it was to Papua New Guinea. And they went to work with a group of tribes that they, they were the only group of tribes in the world where they were both cannibals and headhunters. Apparently, you're usually one or the other, but not both at the same time. But these people were both at the same time. And other missionaries had gone to those places before, but they had ended up in the cooking pot, you know. And here was one of the problems. In their culture, but they'd even sharpened their teeth and everything to look like big, sharp, to look scary. They had a very scary culture. And 
In their culture, the highest value that they held was treachery. If you could deceive someone into believing that you, that you were their friend, but you really had a treacherous plan up your sleeve, and that person believed you and trusted you, and then at the last minute you sprung it on them and killed them, that meant you were really, really clever because you, you had strung them along for a while. So the first missionaries that went there, they thought everything was going well. They didn't realize they were getting fattened up. And so, by the time Don Richardson and, and his family, I mean, it's like, seriously, you took your family? Yeah, he took his family. By the time they went there, they knew a little bit about this culture. But when they went to share the gospel, they, they shared it in the traditional Western way, like other missionaries have had, had done. You people don't know anything about God. All your beliefs are demonic. You're bad, bad people. We've got the truth about everything. You must listen to what we are saying and reject everything else that you do. You're wrong about what you believe. Your grandparents were wrong about what they believed. Your ancestors were wrong about what they believed. Now imagine saying that to a culture that one of their highest values is honoring old people, honoring their grandparents, and honoring their ancestors. And then you've come along and just offended them totally and then told them that they need to give up their religion and adopt your religion. Well, it didn't work very well. So he went there and he shared the gospel. They thought the hero of the story was Judas Iscariot because he had managed to trick Jesus for three whole years. And so he thought, this isn't working right. But he realized that, the, that God is present everywhere. If this was the village, that long before he arrived at the village, God's presence was already at the village. God's presence was already at work in these people's lives. In every culture, God has been preparing people in some way to understand the coming of the Savior. So he just bided his time, and he watched a little bit. And one day he saw them perform a ceremony called the Peace Child Ceremony, in which two, the village that he was in were at war with another village, and lots of the young men had been killed. But they decided to make a peace treaty, and this was how they did it. The people in the other village came down the river in a canoe, and came to the land, the people in this village are down the front on the land, and someone in this village who has just given birth to a baby, a baby boy is holding their baby boy, and someone in the other village who has just had a baby boy has brought their baby boy, and this tribes switched babies, and this tribe were now going to bring up their baby and that tribe were going to bring up this tribe's baby. And the baby was called the peace child. And as long, as long, they're saying, as long as you look after our child, we will never harm you. And they're saying, as long as you look after our child, we will never harm you. Well, all of a sudden, his mind starts going with stories from the Bible. Abraham offers his son Isaac to God as a sacrifice. And God says, no, no, I don't want a sacrifice. The Lord himself will provide a sacrifice. Then at the time of Jesus, God sends his son Jesus. And he gets up and he starts to tell that God is a God of love. 
And humanity were his children, but we went away on our own and we turned against God and we declared war against God. We became sinful and we became selfish and we became rebellious and we declared war against God. And God wanted to make peace with us. So God gave us a peace child. It was his one and only son. His name was Jesus. And they're all getting excited. God gave us a peace child. All of a sudden, they understand the message. Where is the peace child? And he says, we killed him. We've killed the peace child. The worst thing that they could possibly think of was to kill the peace child, especially kill God's peace child. And then he says, but God raised him from the dead and he is alive with the power to forgive us. How can we be forgiven? How can we come back? We should never, mankind should never have killed the peace child. And those people all came in to accept Jesus as their savior because their traditions, their rituals were kind of like their Old Testament. They were waiting for somebody to come, for a savior to come. And when Don Richardson, instead of saying, I'm coming here to tell you that you're wrong about everything, when he went and said, God, is, God was there before I arrived, in what way has he been preparing these, this culture? And he finds a way and he explains it in their language they became believers in Jesus. And instead of being screwed up with their cannibalism and their head hunting and all their violence, they open up to God and were filled with the love of God and became, if you read the story, the most loving, kind, and compassionate people who instead of killing the other tribes, took the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the other tribes. And then he wrote another book, put the other one up, eternity in their hearts. And in this book, he, after this experience, he decided to study religions and cultures all over the world. And he discovered that in every religion and in every culture, even people that worship demonic looking statues and gods, there's something deep within them that says there is a true God out there who created all things. There's a loving God who can forgive us. We understand that, but we don't know how to reach him. We know that God, because God is everywhere in every part of the world. And, and he began to train missionaries to go and to say, God is already everywhere. All you have to do is open up to him and open your eyes to him and open your heart to him and he will, his life will come rushing in. God is so much bigger than we imagine. He fills the, he set the stars in place to tell us his plan. He's prepared people all over the world. He dwells everywhere. Let's look at this last scripture passage I want to read. This is a prayer, and it's a prayer to open our eyes wide and see who God is and what he's got in store for us. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you the spirit of wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be opened and flooded with light 
so that you can understand. You know, some translations say you can begin to get an inkling. <laughs> it's like God is so, it takes so long to understand so that you can understand the confident hope, not the fearful shame, but the confident hope He has given to those He called and the rich and glorious inheritance that He has for us. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power, which is at work in us as we believe in Him. Let's read on. That same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. Now he is far above every ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church, which is his body. When I think of all of this, I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his unlimited resources, he would grant you inner strength, that it would get deep, deep down inside you, that any changes in work that God is doing in your life, it's not about you trying to live up to, to be a better person. It's about God changing you from the inside with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will dwell fully within you as you trust in him, and your roots will go deep down into the soil of God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of God. You know, that's why when we baptize people here, we don't just give you a little bit. We like keep you under, hold you under as long as we possibly can <laughs> till you start thrashing, then we'll let you back out, you know. <laughs> it is a symbol of being totally immersed in God's love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. I think it's funny when people say, they preach too much grace. That preacher is hyper grace. That's too much love and forgiveness. You can't get too much of God's love. You can't get too much of God's forgiveness. It is too great to fully understand, people. We could talk about it every day and it's not enough. <laughs> then you will be filled not with a little dabble, do you? But you will be filled with all the full 
faithfulness of God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we may ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all coming ages. Amen. Isn't that a prayer and a half? Well, that's what we're going to pray. Let's stand. Every week we've been taking the Lord's Prayer, but we're going to finish this message series with a new prayer, with this prayer. And we're going to pray and ask God to open our spiritual eyes and to flood us with light and understanding and wisdom and knowledge and power. Because we, we need to get, you know, church, we need to get at least a glimpse that God is a great big God. He is a loving God. His, his love endures forever. His anger lasts for a moment, but His love endures forever. His presence is everywhere, and we live our lives immersed in it. If only we could open our eyes to see it. We're going to pray this. Are we all ready, church? Let's say it together. Let's go. Dear God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, today I ask you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I may know you better. I pray that the eyes of my heart would be open and flooded with light so that I may understand the hope you have given me, the rich inheritance you have for me, and the great power which works within me as I believe in you. I pray that from your unlimited resources, you will give me inner strength that Christ may dwell fully within me. May my roots go down deep into the soil of your love. May my life be grounded in you. And may I be filled to overflowing with all 